Good morning. If this wall gets any higher, I'd have trouble seeing you all. Praise the Lord. Hey. Our Bible reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 21. And we're reading from verses 33 to 46. The parable of the tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Thank you. Good morning, 10.30 service. Good morning. Welcome. Great to have you with us to share this morning. Um, just to mention, uh, Pastor Darrell is still on bereavement leave. Not sure when he's getting back. I would assume this week. Uh, but we've been sending texts to him just to let him know that we're praying for him. And our, indeed, they're in their family and our thoughts and prayers. So continue to do that as well, won't you? Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's continue to pray and worship the Lord together. Father, we thank you for the, the privilege of uh, being able to be together here this morning <clears throat> and uh, already to uh, be found in your presence is an awesome thing, amazing, and we bless you for that. We pray we'll continue to, uh, Lord, be fed uh, as we, uh, Lord, gaze upon you, as we come to you, as we sit at your feet, as we listen as we dialogue with you, as you speak into our hearts. Do that, Lord, as we meet together and we thank you again that we can be here in this place openly, freely, uh, like so many others that can't, but thank you that we can. And so help us to seize the day and take advantage. And we ask your blessing now upon your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so this parable has been a battleground for complex debate, says D.A. Carson. And just to add further to the debate, uh, the verse that I want to spend some time looking at later on uh, is verse 44, 
uh, which some manuscripts don't even have. Uh, so there you go. But indeed, having said that, it's still very much dominical, says Carson. And what he means by that is simply that it relates to Jesus Christ as Lord. Indeed, it does. Uh, this same parable that we're looking at in Matthew, uh, with, slight, with some slight variations, as we would expect, is also found in Mark chapter 12 and in Luke 20. Now, firstly, um, rather than go through the parable itself and talk about what it is and so on, I just want to give a very brief overview of the meaning of this parable or just interpret a little bit very briefly as to who these characters are. So firstly, the landowner is God. The farmers that are listed here or the tenants to whom the vineyard has been entrusted uh, is Israel and their leaders. The servants are the prophets and of course, the son that was sent is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, I can hear some whispers out there. As Jesus spoke this parable and addressed the chief priests, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they would have noticed very quickly that Jesus was referring to Isaiah's prophecy, particularly here listed in chapter 5, of Isaiah and it goes like this verses 1 and 2 I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside he dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines he built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well then he looked for a crop of good grapes but it yielded only bad fruit. And commentator Simon Kistemaker, he says this, that the Jewish people knew this song by heart. They would sing it in their synagogue worship services from time to time. And then he says, they also knew the conclusion of this song. And that's recorded in Isaiah 5 and verse 7, which says this, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delights, delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And these religious leaders especially would have known that the parable that Jesus spoke here applied to them, as we've already seen. They knew that Jesus was referring to the prophets that God had sent to Israel in which some were stoned, some killed, etc., because their message was so unpopular. Not much has changed today, really, has it, when you think about it? And Jesus refers to this very thing when he says, as part of the seven woes that Jesus speaks against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, when he brings that to them in, in, in chapter 23 of Matthew 37. And then Jesus says these words, Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You can imagine his heart going out here. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. And then when Jesus spoke of the landowner's son, 
being sent to the vineyard and also killed by the tenants, you can guess whose death he was prophetically speaking about? Yeah, exactly. It was his own. His own. And then in verse 42, Jesus quotes from Psalm 118 in verses 22, 23, and it goes like this. So Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And though this parable, as I said earlier, is found in Mark and in uh, uh, and in Luke only in Matthew is there verse 43 and he says this therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit you can imagine how they're feeling now I've heard that and how unpopular even more <laughs> Jesus would have been to these religious leaders when he said those things, particularly, well, well, clearly it's indicated, have a look at verse 45 and 46, you'll see how unpopular he is and what they think of him. And though it's not clear from this text who these other people were to whom the kingdom of God would be given, it would seem pretty clear that the Lord Jesus in verse 43 certainly had the Gentiles in mind. Because in example, just as an example, in, in Acts chapter 13... The scripture certainly adds weight to that argument. And also, if you're taking notes, put down Romans 11.25. That also adds the weight. But let me read what, what is said here at Acts 13 and verses 45 to 46. When the Jews saw the crowds, this is unbelievable that people could be so hard. Anyway, let me keep on track here. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying, and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Yep. And again, Simon Kistemaker, he summarises that all three evangelists report that the chief priests and the Pharisees knew that he had spoken the parable against them. Then, sorry, they, in fact, would be crushed by the son whom they rejected, but whom God had exalted. Pretty sobering stuff, isn't it, when you think about that? And so I want to, I want to explore... Verse 44, and I didn't mean it to rhyme either, but I want to explore verse 44 a little further with some interesting application. That's where I want to take us now. So that verse again, Matthew 21, verse 44. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Luke's version, which is almost identical, is found in Luke 20 and verse 18. And it says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. So those who fall on the stone and are broken, and those on whom the stone falls 
and are crushed. Is this the same thing? Are we talking about the same thing here? Are both events exactly the same, but just a different way of saying it? In other words, are both those who fall on the stone and those of whom the stone falls destroyed, gone, judged? See, some would think that. Some would argue that that's what it is. Um, and they're welcome to do that and they're entitled to do that, but I don't agree with that. I'd suggest there's a difference. And Warren Worsby, good on him. He backs me up on that. Listen to what he says. He says, The sinner who falls on the stone in humility will be broken but saved. But the rebel who resists Christ will be crushed by the stone in judgment. And then we go to Leon Morris. also like what he writes. Good commentator. Leon Morris in his commentary. And he cites another author in his commentary and he says this. Leon Morris says, Morgan points out that there is a difference here. Fall on it or fall on the stone. And there is a touch of mercy even here. And you will be broken, but the broken person can be healed. Isn't that beautiful? But let it fall on you and you'll be ground to dust. And there is no healing then. And you know, it, it strikes me, and I'm sure it probably does to you, as you read through the Gospels, you'll discover over and over, time and time again, that the ones who come to Jesus, the ones who came to him, the ones that were touched by him, the ones that received from him, the ones who truly encountered Jesus, were the ones who were broken. Or, or, those that when they did come to Jesus and they saw him and they, they had that revelation that he was the son of God, this precious cornerstone. When they came to him, they became so conscious of how broken their lives really were. I mean, just for example, and there are many examples in the scriptures, but just for one example, look at, look at Peter. Peter in Luke chapter 5 and this, in the con this context is that, that after Jesus told them to put out the nets, you know how they'd fished all night, they caught nothing. Jesus comes, he said, throw out the nets into the deep water and cat for, a, for a catch. And Peter says, Lord, Lord we've mastered, we've, we've worked all night, but because you've said so, we'll do it. So it's that context. And what happens when they do what Jesus told them to do? They haul in such a large amount of fish that the nets begin to break. It's in that context. And then in verse 8, this is what happens. When Peter saw this, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees or at his feet. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Broken before this stone was Peter. You remember how Paul... You know, Paul called himself the worst of sinners or the chief of sinners. Do you remember that? In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. And then, of course, there's the tax collector and the Pharisee. You know that story in Luke 18 and verse 13. The Pharisee sitting up there kind of beating himself, you know, proving himself, etc. The tax collector stood away and he had his head down and he cried out and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So he comes broken. The other guy didn't. I think he may have been crushed. But you see, this is the thing. The beautiful thing, the wonderful thing is that when these people came to Jesus, broken, Jesus never left them that way. Isn't that wonderful? 
I'm talking to people here this morning and you know how broken you were. And perhaps you're here this morning and you know how broken you are. And maybe this morning you need to be broken. We'll get to that later on. But you who have truly met Jesus, when you came to him as a broken person, you didn't leave the same way. He met you and he healed you and he forgave you and he restored you. He did not leave you in that broken state when you truly met the Lord Jesus. The ones who come to this stone and fall on him, the ones who did that and they fell on him and they knew they were broken, that their lives were in pieces, they were made whole. They were made whole. Listen, like they had never been made before. Because Jesus loves them. Jesus loves us. Jesus forgives. Jesus heals. Jesus restores. He does it today as he did for them back there. As he did for Peter, as he did for Paul, as he did for that tax collector. And yet again, another story. How beautifully illustrated this is. How powerfully illustrated is this one. When Jesus was anointed by the sinful woman, as she was referred to in Luke chapter 7 and verse 37, listen to these words. Try and visualise this scene. It's absolutely powerful. It's magnificent. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. What a magnificent scene. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And you know what happened after that. You can read the rest of that story, but I want us to skip down here to verse 48. Jesus knew what he was thinking, all right. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, this is magnificent. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that beautiful? Here she was. She was broken before the Lord Jesus Christ. Broken to pieces as she falls on him, the stone. And yet mercifully, wonderfully, she was made whole by the rock of ages. <laughs> hey, listen. She was one who came in pieces and she went in peace. What, a, what, a, what an amazing God. She came in pieces, but she left in peace. And my dear friend, you may be here this morning. I don't know, but God knows. And I just want to ask you, how is it with you? Really? How is it with you? You may have greeted people this morning and we do it. I do it. How are you going? Yeah, going good. Thanks. All good. Well, thanks. But inside your heart, you're screaming. Really, you are. We put on the facade, we all do it. I do it. But Jesus sees the true you. <laughs> he knows what's going on. He knows the brokenness that's in your life. 
And he knows those areas that he wants to break. He knows who you are. You know, we, we put on a facade, and, and in many ways we have to, really. But don't do it with Jesus. So where are you broken? Or there's another question, and it's this. Where do you need to be broken before Jesus? Not before me, not before anyone else. This is you and God. This is you and the Lord. He sees where you're broken, and he also sees where you need to be broken. Because you see, when you read and you consider the implications of Matthew 21, 44, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When you consider that, don't you think it makes sense? Or don't you think it's better to be broken than crushed? Hmm? Isn't it better to be broken than crushed? Be broken in this life than crushed in the next? You see, broken people, as they come to Jesus, are made whole by him. They're forgiven by him. They receive from him. They receive his healing. They receive his restoration. I love how the psalmist puts this. He says this, Psalm 51, 16 to 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And there it is, you know, just realise that God sees who we really are. He knows when we're broken. He knows that we are broken. And he will not despise you for your brokenness. But you've got to come to him with it and say, Lord, I'm a broken man. I'm a broken woman. I need you, Lord. Just like these people that I've just mentioned here. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking to someone this morning. Um, there's a movie. And when I'm preparing this during the week, I happened to find this, the fact that there is a movie. I think it came out on Thursday. It's showing at some cinemas. And uh, guess what the movie's called? Beautifully Broken. It's a Christian movie from what I, I haven't seen it. I don't know what it's about. Oh, three families, apparently. One from Rwanda. One's, one is actually a pen pal to a girl in America. There's something like that going on. It's probably worth looking at. It's called Beautifully Broken. And of course, if you, who listened to 96.5? Well, then you'll hear that song played every so often, and it's called Beautifully Broken. Yeah, Beautifully Broken. He can make you whole again. Matthew 21.44. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls, will be crushed. And see, again, I want to suggest that there's a huge difference in this context between falling on Christ, the stone, and having this stone fall on you. The former, you're broken and you can be made whole. The latter, I believe you're crushed and destroyed, which I believe speaks of eternal damnation, eternal destruction in hell. I believe that's what the scripture is saying here. Commentator Albert Barnes, he explains it 
like this. He says, and he uses the King James Version, he says, on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And that's really what it means. And he says that. He says, that is, in the original, will reduce him or her to dust so that it may be scattered by the wind. He says, there is an allusion here, doubtless to the custom of stoning as a punishment among the Jews. Now, he mentions a particular type of stoning, which I'm going to read, but I think there are different types of stonings as well that took place. Um, just wanted to mention that. But this is how he describes it. He says, this is Albert Barnes, he says, a scaffold was erected twice the height of the man to be stoned. Standing on its edge, he was violently struck off by one of the witnesses. If he died by the blow and fall, nothing else was done. Not that it could be. If not, if he didn't die, if not, a heavy stone was thrown down on him, which at once killed him. So the Saviour speaks of the falling of the stone on his enemies. They who oppose him, those who reject him, and who continue impenitent shall be crushed by him in the day of judgment and perish forever. So it's kind of sobering stuff, isn't it? Because, you know, and the other interesting thing is there's no doubt that most of us love the portraits and the descriptions of Jesus, and perhaps we would prefer that, and I can understand why. Uh, but we, we, prefer the, we prefer Jesus to be the, the kind of meek and mild, gentle, friendly person with happy children bouncing all around him, don't we? we? We love those pictures. Jesus with a big smile and children everywhere. And I want to say this, there's a place for that too because that's what he is. But listen, there's another side. There's another side to Jesus that is so far from that imagery. It's one that we don't really like to look at too much. But Jesus is awesome in his, he's fearful. There's a side to him that is fearful. John experienced that. Remember the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple who would recline with Jesus as they ate together. There was such a very close bond and relationship that he had with Jesus. This same John, when he was exiled to the island of Patmos, Notice John's reaction when he sees the glorified Christ. This same Christ, but he's glorified. Look what happens when John sees him then. Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, when I saw Jesus, he's saying, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. Sorry, I fell as though dead. I fell as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Why did he say that? Because John was afraid. This Jesus that he would love and embrace and be with, he's different now. He looks different. He is different. He's the glorified King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the judge. And John was terrified. And you know, if that is how a forgiven John, a forgiven, restored follower of Christ reacts when he sees the Lord, and certainly Jesus had no issue with John. Jesus was not angry with John. But if that was the case then, what on earth will it be like for the unrepentant? What will it be like for the unbroken, the unsaved person when they stand before the glorified Christ in his wrath and in his judgment? What are they going to be like then? 
Well, I tell you what, one thing's for sure. It won't be gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. My dear friends, better to be broken than crushed. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, better to be broken than crushed. The book of Revelation provides images of what, it, of what being crushed is all about. Revelation 6 verses 15 to 17 says this. It's a frightening scene, but it's real. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid, hid in caves and among the rocks and the mountains. This is, so, this is so ironic. Listen to what they say. They call on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Who can stand? No one in that day because you're crushed. Because they didn't fall on the stone before and acknowledge their brokenness and were broken, that they might be healed. No, they've rejected him. And now the day has come when he falls on them. Just as those who are broken before the, la the, before the Lord obtain his forgiveness, healing and, re and restoration like Peter did, <clears throat> like the woman did, like the Tasker and so many others. But those on the other hand who refuse to recognise their brokenness and therefore deny Christ as their saviour will be crushed by him. There is that side to Jesus that no one really wants to see. But many will, for the reasons just mentioned. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees. I tell you what, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? Doesn't mince his words, he doesn't sugarcoat his words. Listen to what he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 22, 23 and verse 33. <laughs> he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? You think that would wake them up. And again, Jesus speaking about the sheep and the goats, or in other words, the believers and unbelievers in Matthew 25, 41 and 46, he says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels verse 46 then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life it's not hard to imagine that jesus never won the popularity vote in his day the fact is he wasn't looking for it and neither should you or i but Jesus did speak the truth. He came as the truth that we all need to hear and we need to apply in our own lives today, in our own broken lives today. I want to bring the message to a conclusion by sharing this story 
it's an event actually, um, came to my mind when I was going through this. And Rosemary knows it quite well because she told me. Rosemary was a midwife for some years. I was in the ambulance for some years. So the pair of us used to have some really good table talks. Stuff that you probably wouldn't want to listen to or hear. But uh, she told me of this particular case. She said, she told me, and Rose remembers this. She, she told me of a case that where during one woman's labour, the baby became impacted by its shoulders in the birth canal. Just so you, you, you understand, some of you will know what I'm talking about. The baby comes out normally on its side like that. It kind of moves around, but it came out on its side. So it goes underneath and the shoulder actually got jammed under the pubic bone of the woman. Sometimes it happens. So the baby's stuck there. The head's already out, but baby's stuck. The only way of saving the baby was for the doctor to put his hand in gently, find the collarbone of the baby and snap it. So when he snaps the collarbone of the baby, shoulder collapses and the baby's able to be born. That's what they do. They still do that today. Not often because most women are prepared. They know what's going on beforehand. But some still, some, some still go through that. But the, the, the shoulder had to be, the collarbone had to be broken, collapsing shoulder, so the baby could be, could be born. Um, and you might, say, you might say, this baby, and they heal very quickly, so don't worry about bones and babies heal very quick. But, but you might say, this baby was born broken. Yeah? And listen, it had to be broken to be saved. Are, are you kind of getting any spiritual application coming through here? kind of hearing anything else you know is there a, is it a picture of something that's going on here yeah because my dear people you and I you and I were born broken but when we acknowledge that brokenness before Jesus in a, in a penitent way um, as Peter did as the woman did just two of those examples of many. When we do that, when we come to Jesus like that, listen, he will forgive. He will forgive. Leona mentioned that verse, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise. So when we come to Jesus broken, and acknowledge that brokenness. He forgives. He heals. He restores. Because really when it's all said and done in view of Matthew 24, 21 and 44. Far better to be broken now than to be crushed. What do you say to that? What do you think? Can I ask us just to bow in prayer for a moment? Can I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Everybody to do that, please. Because we don't often do this, but I did at the 8.30 service this morning. And I just simply want to ask this. Look, if you're in a position like that and you just want prayer, would you just, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up and just pop it down again, up and down. Just do that. Thanks. Yep, there's numbers of people that did that. Just up, up your hand goes and then down again. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Thank you. Yeah, I can see that. God, in fact, God sees that, whether I do or not. Anyone else? Yep. Yeah. 
And of course, there is always that option to come out the front and have one of the pastors, Pastor Brendan, Pastor Charlie, myself, here this morning, others to pray for you. Let's pray. Loving Father, you've seen the hands of those who have gone up this morning. And Father, more than seeing the hands, you've seen the heart that says to you, Jesus, I'm broken. And perhaps it's been a prayer, Lord Jesus, I need to be broken. And Father, you know what's broken in all of our lives. And we confess, Lord. I confess. We're broken people, Lord. And we bless your name that we can come to you now and, and cast ourselves on you. Fall on this stone, this precious cornerstone. And you don't reject us. This broken and contrite heart you will not despise. You will not ignore and I thank you for these precious ones this morning who have stood before you and said, Jesus, see my heart. Lord, lift them up. I pray you will bless them richly. Their honesty, their openness, their transparency to you, bless them for it, Lord. And take them on from strength to strength in the beauty and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Yeah, bless them, use them, Lord, in their families, their home life, their work life, wherever they are. God, let them stand and may people look at them and say the same question or ask the same question as Bob had asked of him. You guys Christians, Lord, help us, we pray. In our own brokenness to know that we've found a saviour, we've found a stone who heals and forgives, who has mercy and compassion. Lord, we want to be in that place for you now because we know there'll come a day when many who reject you now, who reject you at the time when they will enter eternity, Father, they will be crushed. Your word says that. And there's no coming back from that. So help us, we pray, to do it now. Acknowledge you, we're broken, we need your healing, we need your forgiveness, Lord. And the beautiful thing is, you've promised to give it. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, your word says. Thank you. We commit ourselves to you and we bless you for the time that you've met us here this morning and we want to go out of the day rejoicing with the good news of sharing it with others. Lord, we're broken but we're healed and we've been restored and we're forgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you mean to us. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Amen.